Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to counsel. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift and therefore before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let us pray. God of promise and purpose, in the midst of life's distractions, still our minds to listen. In the midst of competing voices, speak your word of truth. Send your spirit to help us make wise choices. In the name of Jesus, our teacher and savior, we pray. Amen. Some of you may remember from last summer, um, I took a little vacation. Uh, My wife and I, we all like vacations, right? And in the depths of winter, we ought to think about vacation. At least I am. Um, But Susie and I took a trip to Ireland and Scotland Uh, for a couple of weeks. It was a trip that we had planned uh, for a really long time to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary would happen pre-COVID so we couldn't go. So finally we were were able to get away. And we planned our own trip. We uh, did our own itinerary, picked our own places to stay and uh, really had a wonderful time. I've always wanted to go to Scotland. I can trace my family on my mom's side, the Wilson family, uh, back into Scotland. We're part of Clan Gun. And uh, in my studies of the Wilsons of Scotland, you know, if you've ever done any genealogy, it's never kind of a straight path. It, It takes a little bit of guesswork and a little uh, coincidence, maybe sometimes that you tape together. Um, but I did find that in 1736, uh, that a notorious smuggler uh, named Andrew Wilson uh, was captured in Edinburgh and hung in the Haymarket Square. Now, it turned out, as a coincidence, that the Airbnb we were staying in was right on the edges of Haymarket Square. So I don't know, but maybe. There's a nice stone there that commemorates the public gallows, but maybe I was in the same place uh, where one of my ancestors, uh, you know, transitioned into another realm. (laughs) I don't know. I can't prove it, but I like to think maybe that's what happened. Uh, Our trip was really uh, trains, planes, and automobiles kind of a trip. We took lots of day trips uh, out of uh, Dublin and Edinburgh. Um, for great places to hike and picnic and eat lunch. You know, I think Mer- America's really missed the mark with the train system. It's something they've really got uh, going well over there. If you've ever been um, in Ireland and Scotland, the trains were spotless. Uh, they were on time and they were relatively cheap. 
Uh, riding the train kind of gives you a great bird's eye view of the culture and the area. You go through the small towns and you can see people uh, going about their daily business. You get to see the countryside, which you can't really see when you're driving, which also I attempted there, which was really a mistake, but, um, <laughs> but I did it. But, the, you know, you're locked in when you're driving. You're look, locked in trying not to kill somebody, including yourself. But, you know, if you're on the train, you can look out the window and you can see the countryside and if, maybe spot a castle off in the distance or something like that. But, but while I was on the train that my uh, theological brain was stirred one day, um, the train has an automated system. Any train you've ever been in, when you're getting on and off the train, it has an automated system that tells you the next station that's coming up. And then it says, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Uh, it was on posters and it was repeated over and over again at every station. And what it was doing was, was telling the passengers to pay attention to that gap that is between the train and the platform uh, so you wouldn't trip and fall. Mind the gap. Now the word mind can mean that you pay attention to something or look after it, um, and it's kind of lost its place in our American vocabulary. Uh, but there in the UK, uh, it came rushing back to me from like old movies and old books that I had read. Uh, mind the gap. Pay attention as you move from one reality to another reality. And as I rode that train to many places, I kept thinking about that phrase. I kept wondering how that applied to our daily lives as we leave our house and maybe go off to work, or as we leave church on Sunday and enter into the world, the reality of the world that's around us. Because many times when, it's, when we make that transition, when we move from one place to another, that's where we can get tripped up. We can make a mistake. We can make an issue worse than it is. Transitions are hard. Now, I think uh, our scripture reading today that Jesus is telling us is to mind the gap. As we transition from the earthly, human-dominated world to a spiritual, God-oriented world, it's that space between the two, if we're not careful, that can trip us up. Our scripture reading is just a short section from what scholars call the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest recorded sermon. And in the last few weeks, uh, Pastor Donnie has kind of walked us through the first part of that, um, that sermon with the Beatitudes. And Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes the traits that he's looking for in his followers he calls those who live out these trials blessed because God has something special in store for people who suffer through these. Each beatitude, maybe you'll remember, are poor in spirit, those who mourn, meekness, righteousness, mercy, pure in heart, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. Now, many of those are in direct contradiction to society's norms but what we should see in the Beatitudes is how Jesus lived his life, and we should try to emulate that. What follows the Beatitudes is our text today, a list of life situations and places of the heart that can cause us conflict as we move from a life of self to a life for others. The gap in my metaphor 
Jesus begins this part of his sermon talking about anger. Now, anger is a normal human emotion. Jesus himself got angry. In fact, my guess is he got angry a lot. It must have taken a lot of coping skills to spend the day and night with the most clueless people of the Bible, the disciples. As one of you pointed out to me one time, they called them the disciples. <laughs> Anger is a natural emotion. It's a part of us. Even all those little children down there have probably, in their short lives, experienced anger. The emotion of anger is not the problem. What Jesus said was, but I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. If you allow your anger to form a separation, a gap between you and another person, that's the issue. What Jesus is talking about here is arousing anger to a point of acting out upon your anger. Do you get that? It's okay to be anger, angry. We all do it. Anger is really an indicator of something that isn't right. Anger as an emotion that we have is sometimes helpful for us to understand the world around us. Sometimes it is anger that motivates us to do something to help ourselves or our situation. Many a civic leader has gotten angry about a particular injustice that had led to hopeful and productive social change. Many of us have used our anger to find a better way to live our lives. But it's when we unjustly strike out in anger or allow our anger to separate us from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That is where the gap truly forms that keeps us separated from God's will for our lives. So let me explain this with a story. So back while we were on our trip in Scotland, one day, one of our day trips uh, was to go to Stirling. Now, Stirling is the home of Stirling Castle. Uh, other than Edinburgh, uh, the palace there in Edinburgh, uh, Stirling Castle is one of the few other castles around where kings uh, of Scotland lived. Uh, maybe you know or have heard about William Wallace, Braveheart, uh, and Robert the Bruce was one of the early kings of Scotland. This was uh, where they were in and around Stirling. Now, Stirling Castle is magnificent. It sits on top of this hill um, with nothing but plains around it. Uh, several rivers flow through there, so it, you can see for miles uh, for up on that hill. And they've done a great job of, uh, of restoring it, just really making it a great spot. Um, next to the castle is uh, the famous Kirk of the Holy Rood. Now, um, the Holy Rood means rod, which means a piece of wood, which back in the day when they were building these magnificent cathedrals in Europe, they many times built them around a relic that they thought, and they thought they had a piece of uh, Jesus's cross, and that's what this church was based on. I wasn't there. I can't prove that they didn't. I kind of doubt it, but you know, that, that's, that's their thing. That was their, well, that's what they called it. And um, like many historical churches in Europe, it's now a museum, but it's be beautifully preserved. And you can 
tour the, the surrounding grounds and the cemetery. Uh, now, there was one thing in the tour that I, that I was on uh, that really kind of spoke to me as the guy was talking along uh, and telling us the history of this church, that back in the uh, mid-1600s, uh, the Kirk, uh, as a church in Scotland is called, the Kirk was led by a Presbyterian pastor named James Guthrie. And by all accounts, uh, Reverend Guthrie was uh, a firebrand, a really fire and brimstone kind of preacher uh, that he would really get the congregation kind of fired up and going. And in those days in Scotland, the Presbyterian Kirk uh, was closely tied with the city government, the town council. They usually worked uh, in concert together. There was usually many members on both, both groups. Now, this all worked great when everyone was of the same mind and everyone was of the same denomination. But for you, those of you that remember your uh, history of Scotland and England at this time in the mid to late 1600s, um, there was conflict around religion. It started with the Catholics and the Protestants, and then it became the Church of England and the, and the Presbyterians. So it was during this time that the English-based Anglican Church began to kind of infiltrate uh, cities in Scotland and many of the town councils and many of the churches. So Reverend Guthrie really was against this, and he stormed against it from the pulpit. Um, and many of those people sitting in his congregation were followers of the Church of England. And things finally began to boil over, and a literal fight broke out in the congregation one Sunday between the two groups of people. And so a schism, a split of the church, was formed. Now Guthrie took this a one step further in that he built a brick wall down the middle of the church. <laughs> so one group worshipped on one side, and one group worshipped group on the other side so they could not fight anymore. And the interesting thing about Guthrie is he was eventually hung on those same gallows that maybe my friend was hung on <laughs> not too long of those. But the reason I tell you that story is because of the aftermath of what happened after. That wall, that wall that split this beautiful cathedral that when you stood in it just looked like you could barely see the ceiling, but one time had a wall all the way down it, stood for 300 years. For 300 years, that wall stood. It wasn't taken down until 1936. Now, I know I've kind of consolidated kind of a complex historical story, and there were lots of geopolitical things going on in that part of the world, but it did make me wonder, what walls are we building out of anger? What walls are we putting up that may last 300 years? You know, there's a lot of anger in our country right now. It's at a level that I have personally never seen. It seems when two or more are gathered, there's some kind of fight or argument. School board meetings, HOA, city council meetings have become anger-filled protest. And my friends, what's happening in Washington, D.C. on both sides of the aisle, I've never seen. And in my humble opinion, it is a low mark in our democracy, if it even survives. So as Christians, what are we to do? Let me give you some help. It's a simple phrase. Mind the gap. 
Mind the gap. Pay attention to where you are and where you want to go. Don't let anger trip you up and cause your reality to change. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of a part of this text, I think, helped me a lot when I was reading it. It says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. A grudge means that you or someone that you are in relationship with is allowing the natural emotion of anger to linger, to gnaw at you on the inside, and it widens that gap, the gap of the kingdom of the living God. God is calling us to live a life that is not filled with anger. And when we recognize this widening gap and act To close it, we draw ourselves closer to God. And we truly represent the life that God wants us to live. Later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is asked this question. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Yet to do this, according to our scriptures, we must first make ourselves right with our brothers and sisters. We cannot fully come holy and full before God when we have unresolved anger towards our brothers and sisters. That's why it's very important to me when we say the prayer confession, I make you stand up. I want you to stand up. I want all of us to stand before God and say, forgive me and to confess our sins because when we do that, our hearts and minds are clear. And we can flush away all that anger. And we can mine the gap to enter into God's holy realm with God's sacred word. Now I know there's been some anger and some angry words spoken even in our church. The good news is that I have seen a fresh spirit of reconciliation and redemption blowing in the last year. I think we're on the right path and doing a much better job of minding that gap. But I would ask you, each of you, if you personally are still holding anger against a brother or sister in this congregation, we cannot as a body move forward completely until that anger has been reconciled. Can we continue to disagree Absolutely. That's what I love about being a Presbyterian. We can disagree with one another. It's okay to disagree. But we must speak that disagreement in love. We must speak the truth in love. Never anger. Unresolved and held anger has no place in the church or in the life and the heart of a Christian. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you are about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to the friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. 
Let's continue to make things right in the eyes of God. Let's continue to make things right in our personal lives, in our community, and here at church. Tearing down those walls that were put up in anger. Let us as followers of Jesus continue to mind the gap each and every day to live the life that God has called us to live as faithful and loving disciples, to come to this place not to be served, but to serve and be a servant to all. Not to widen the gap, but to make it smaller, till one day it actually disappears. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.